Welcome, everyone, to episode 13 of the SportKite podcast. I'm your host, Nick O'Neill, founder of SportKite.org, and I wanted to thank you for tuning in and listening. This podcast is a part of the website, SportKite.org, and it's a growing resource for SportKite flyers and enthusiasts. It is all volunteer-run and updated. So if you're interested in supporting the podcast or sportkite.org, go to buymeacoffee.com slash sportkite. You can also find us on Facebook and we'd love to hear what you think. Whether you agree or disagree with what we're saying or maybe you just want to add something. Heck, we would love to take your questions and who knows, maybe your question is the next topic for the next episode of the SportKite podcast. So in this episode, I actually get a chance to sit down with Paul DeBacher and answer a question that came in a week or so ago regarding spars and kind of trying to get a better understanding about the types of spars that go into kites, how those spars are built and kind of the different characteristics of spars, whether it's fiberglass or carbon fiber. So during this conversation, we predominantly only talk about composites when it comes to spars. We did not touch on wood or aluminum. Um, We just really focused on fiberglass and carbon fiber. So uh, yeah, with that, let's go ahead and get started. I'm here with Paul DeBacher. Uh, he's been on the podcast a handful of times, a pretty avid sport kite flyer, sport kite designer. And he also, in his professional life, is a composites engineer. And so he has a pretty intimate knowledge when it comes to uh, spars or rods and tubes that go into kite building. And uh, yeah. Hi, Paul. Hi, Nick. All right, so uh, let's discuss spars. Um, you know, we, we've had a few questions that were sent in with folks asking about, like, what is the difference between all of the spars that they might see on a sport kite? Um, so let's start with, what's the difference between a rod and a tube? <laughs> it's a very important difference. So um, I've worked for... Uh, 12 years, I think, 11 years now at my current employer, um, Goodwin's Composites, if I may uh, shamelessly plug them for a second. And I remember about 11 years ago, or t- 10 years ago maybe, somebody called me and they wanted a 3 eighths of an inch carbon rod. So we send them, I send them, 3 eighths of an inch carbon rod, and a day later they call me back and they say I wanted it hollow. <laughs> I'm like, well, you ordered rod. <laughs> so there's your difference um rods are solid tubes are hollow okay and, and i've never made that mistake again rods of, of are not solid making sure that somebody understood the difference <laughs> what are the advantages of a rod versus a tube and vice versa um you got a couple of advantages for for either right depending on your application so a common common thing that I hear is uh, uh, tubes are stiffer than rods. That is half true only. Um, tubes are stiffened, stiffer than rods for a given weight. Um, meaning if the same amount of material is used and you make a tube out of that material, um, that tube will be having a larger diameter and it will therefore be stiffer. Um, 
So relatively speaking, a tube is stiffer than a rod, but not necessarily absolutely speaking. If we're talking about a, a, a tube and a rod with both the same outside diameter, the rod will actually be stiffer. There is more material resisting a bend, which is what stiffness describes. It's a resistance against bending. Mm -hmm. Strength, on the other hand, is a resistance against breaking. And there, there are important differences there. Um, looking at, at, at popular choices for, for the kite applications, uh, carbon fiber and fiberglass. Carbon fiber is light and stiff by and large. Mm -hmm. Fiberglass is tough and strong. Uh, <laughs> fiberglass is tough and strong. Mm -hmm. It may be more flexible, but that flexibility helps it against uh, breaking. And that makes it stronger. Uh, think reeds in the wind or grass in the wind. It's super flexible, um, but it doesn't break. Or even a lighthouse in a storm. It is designed to, to bend. A skyscraper, same thing. They're designed to bend uh, and not be that ultimately stiff structure like some carbon fiber structures are meant to be. Um, so carbon fiber, in general, you want to use if, if you want a super light and super stiff and fiberglass you want to use if you want uh, either something a little bit more cost efficient or you want something strong beefy okay but and again like you were saying the fiberglass though in that case the same size you're going to have more weight so there is concern if, of adding more weight to the kite yes fiberglass typically or the density of fiberglass mm -hmm. so the weight for a given uh, volumetric unit is 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 higher than than that of carbon by about I don't know 1.75 times or something like that okay and it's worth noting also that uh, maybe we should get into kind of how rods and tubes are made um, typically a rod is made through a process called Poltrusion, correct? correct? Correct, yes. So could you describe what poltrusion is? Yeah, I could do that really easily with a, with a quick sketch, but that doesn't <laughs> go right here, right? So basically, the, the, the material is a composite. That means that, that it has uh, two or more components that, that individually have certain properties, but combined have properties that exceed that of all the individual ingredients. You can think of um, uh, reinforced concrete mm -hmm. as a composite. Okay. It has, it has, it it's concrete, or even concrete itself, right? It's cement, it's 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 pebbles, it's water. Right. All three of those individual ingredients make it a composite. Well, combined, all right. three of those right. individual agree, uh, in ingredients don't do much and don't have much structural integrity by themselves. You combine them, and the properties of the three ingredients exceed that of the individual ingredients. That is what is a composite. So, back to uh, carbon fiber or fiberglass. Um, composites would be the, the proper term. Um, they're made up of what's called a resin system and, and the fiber. Let's just go with, with carbon fiber. Um, and a resin system is, is the resin itself, a hardener, and maybe an accelerator. Um, Going to poltrusion, you, mm -hmm. you take a spool of this, of this uh, carbon fiber and it's completely limp. It is, it is a thread. It is, it has, it, it's great in, in tensile. If you pull on it, 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 it won't break, right? It's mm -hmm. incredibly strong. But if you compress it, if you, if you push it together, it's, it's like yarn. It is yarn, like really. Like fluffy uh, carbon exactly, yarn. Exactly, exactly. 
Now, if you, if, you, if you think of a tube or a rod for that matter, when you bend it, there'll be several forces. Mm -hmm. uh, there will be several loads on it. On the outside of the bend, there will be a tensile load. On the inside of the bend, there will be a compressive load. Just taking the, the yarn, it will only meet 50% of those of those requirements, which mm -hmm. is tensile. It has no compression strength. So you add the resin. The resin is liquid when you when you apply it and the whole thing cures. Um, it makes that composite. So in poltrusion, um, you, you run that, that yarn through a resin bath and then it gets pulled through a, what's called a dye. And that dye does two things. It, um, it applies heat which which um, gets the the reaction the polymerization mm -hmm. of the resin it gets it going and the cross-linking of, of the molecules um, and it sets the material in a specific shape let's just say a round cross-section <laughs> oh. <laughs> rod-like shape. Rod -like shape exactly yeah. as the whole thing gets pulled it gets cured it gets set in that specific shape and then at the end of the machine it gets chopped up and uh, you've got your your again your carbon fiber composite or your fiber reinforced composite in this case which uh something for folks that maybe don't understand fully poltrusion it's uh extrusion is pushing from behind correct Ext extrusion is pushing something through a, a, a die which right what, which one would do would say aluminum right poltrusion, and poltrusion of course, is pulling you have to pull it through the die because okay. those those yarns have no they're, they're, they have no integrity uh, before they get cured. So the right. only way you can process them is by pulling them through that dye. And that's for both car uh, carbon fiber and fiberglass? Yep, you any, any composite, yes. Okay, and for wrapped? So that's wrapped is, is, is sort of the other uh, prevalent tube in, in, in kiting. There's a, there's a third process that's being used, but it's just there's just fewer of those out there. Um, wrapped parts are only tubes you cannot wrap a solid rod okay well there are tricks but <laughs> you by can and wrap large over a rod but you, you can't correct you yeah. cannot wrap a rod and and do it in, in in one stage okay um so wrapped tubes um it's it's essentially a combination of what's called a prepreg which is the composite that comes to you uh, with with the resin already in there it's frozen so that the comp the resin in there doesn't cure and um you use a, what's called a mandrel. It is basically, it, let's just say, a steel rod with the inside, with the outside diameter of the rod being what the inside diameter of the tube is going to be. This could be a cylindrical tube, and and uh, really important, it could be a tapered tube, which is something that you cannot achieve with a protrusion process. Um, another advantage of, of of wrapped rods ha here i go say it, I say it wrong myself the other advantage <laughs> of 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 wrapped tubes is um you can vary the fiber orientation in poltrusion okay. all the fibers are running longitudinally especially in small diameters in big mm -hmm. diameters big complex uh cross-sectional areas cross-sectional shapes uh, there could be veils added there could be woven fabrics added but by an, in in by and large uh, it's all it's all along unidirectional the direction all in the, what's called the zero degree direction of of the rod or tube um with a wrap tube you can apply different fiber orientations so you can uh protect yourself so to speak from different loads a, okay. a, a unidirectional zero degree poltruded tube is best in bend 
it is stiff. All the fibers are resisting that bending load. But the hoop strength, in other words, the crushing strength, if you were to hold it between your finger and your thumb, mm -hmm. is not that high. You could, you could crash it relatively easily. Uh, with a wrap tube, you can build in a layer of material that, that, that runs in the, in the 90 degree direction to the length of the tube, and now you've built in some, some crush strength. This is the reason why you can connect uh, wrap tubes internally, and you have to connect protruded tubes externally. When you're saying connect, you mean uh, a ferrule yes. or something like, or a fitting or Correct. something like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so basically, to continue on with the wrap tubes, you, you, you have a, a certain wall thickness, thickness that you want to achieve. Mm -hmm. The material is a certain thickness, say 5,000, so you want a wall thickness of, of 30,000, so you take six uh, circumferences of material and you wrap it around the mandrel. And you put some compaction tape around it, um, mm -hmm. which is, is basically, uh, it, it consolidates the laminate and you, you cook it in the oven. The resin in there goes from a solid to a liquid and then it goes back to a solid after it's cured. You take the mandrel with the composite over it and the compaction tape over, you take it out of the oven, you take the compaction tape off, you take the mandrel out of it, you trim the ends, you've got a wrap tube. Nice. So these are all individually handmade. Oh, wow. It's not a... Continuous process. It's... Whereas uh, uh, poltruded, you can it's, just it's have It's miles stuff at a time. It, right. it just keeps on running. And you have a running. cutter that, Correct. that just chops yep. it exactly. at designated lengths. Yep. Okay. So something uh, a, several folks uh, might see on a, a wrapped tube is these, like, ridges. Mm-hmm that are going along it what are those ridges does that, that mean the, anything those are the indents or the remnants or the fossils if you will mm -hmm. of the uh, compaction tape that was applied to do exactly that to compact the laminate as it was curing so the compaction tape's been removed correct and it leaves those ridges. yes okay. um and it's also called spiral wrap and that is it's exactly how the tape is applied right it's like a half inch white tape and it's mm -hmm. spiraled along the length of uh of the tube and it's being removed afterwards, and it leaves in the ridges that are like two thousands or so deep. Okay, so at that point, it's pretty much cosmetic. It has no those it has ridges no structural has value. No, structural no value. correct. And and you can sometimes you can choose, and you see that with with a lot of tubes uh, that they're being ground off as a secondary uh, so uh, job. Sand there, it down you sand it down, and it gets that matte look, mm -hmm. um, and and no more no more uh, tactile ridges left. Okay. And kiting, uh, that, that, that sometimes is a helpful thing for, say, the lower spreader so that your bridle is not rubbing over the ridges. I've Unnecessary <laughs> never, wear and tear. Exactly. It's never bothered me much, but it's absolutely a factor. Okay. Yeah. Um, are there any restrictions to, like, size when you're poltruding or when you're wrapping? Yeah. I've seen two-foot diameter poltruded structures, and I've seen even bigger wrapped structures. So, not really, especially not when it comes to kite applications. What about small? Small? <laughs> uh, the smallest <laughs> tube I've seen is is two millimeters or 0 0.080 of an inch. Um, the smallest rod I've seen is ten thousandths. <laughs> And the smallest rod I've made myself is 19 thousandths, and that is already difficult enough. I did not want to go to 10 thousandths. Um, so, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> it goes pretty small, smaller than you probably need. Okay. Um, so you said uh, earlier that when when you're wrapping a, a tube, mm-hmm. you're doing several layers. You're not doing a, a single layer. Nope. Right. So there it's is the smallest tube that I've ever, or, or rather, the the fewest layered tube that I've made is two ply. Okay. Two layers of material. One ply doesn't exist essentially because there will be a seam regardless. Of how you do it, there will be a seam because you're wrapping a layer of material. It has to meet somewhere. Right. And you could overlap it and have the resin in there act as a glue, but now you're you're creating a spine, a, a an uneven stiffness. Okay. Um, you don't want to do that, right. in, in my opinion, anyway. So two ply is the minimum. Now there's very thin plies available. Um, but still, two plies is, is the minimum. So the theoretically, the, the, the smallest wall thickness you can achieve is like, I don't know, five to six thousandths of an inch. Hmm. She's ridiculously thin, and uh, I'm very uncomfortable with that, which is also <laughs> the reason why uh, there's that little paradox of, of the beefier tubes that use a lot of carbon are typically less expensive than the, the flimsy, tiny little indoor tubes. <laughs> That lose use so little carbon, but they're more expensive, and 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 the answer is reje- rejection rate. Um, it just lots more goes wrong when making those things, and okay. you have to throw many more away. So more, <laughs> you you may not get what you want, whereas it's a lot easier to it's, accommodate it's easier with a bigger to, correct and a bigger a th- higher wall thickness in a carbon tube is is easier to. Uh, to create in a very very thin wall everything needs to be perfect uh, when you when you do that and it just perfection doesn't exist <laughs> and uh of course something we haven't mentioned um is the non-composite spars but that's a whole other that's a whole other podcast so bamboo wood dowels sure. all of that one could argue that wood and bamboo are composites as well Right. It's still bamboo, resin and fibers. I was going to say bamboo is essentially the inspiration for carbon fiber, correct? For protruded carbon fiber, yes. As I understand it, uh, a bamboo is, is, is the uh, inspired by nature. Uh, that's where, where protruded carbon uh, came yeah, if from. Yeah, if you slice bamboo and you actually look at the cut line, you see, um, I don't know what the, the biological term is, but you see essentially fibers running up. That is that, exactly. That's the cellulose, I think. Um and bamboo has that, that great uh, extra addition. It's got built-in hoop strength by mm-hmm. all those little bulkheads uh, every yeah. foot or so. It's awesome yeah. stuff. If, yeah. if you could, Super and I think that I've even tried and, and, and are doing it, uh, making bamboo uh, to where it has so few flaws, it's almost superior to a man-made material. Hmm. It's super interesting. Crazy. Uh, so... I guess last little uh, question that has come up a few times uh, from some folks is, uh, you know, if we go back to like the 80s and stuff with sport kite flying, most of those kites were built with either uh, wood dowels or even aluminum, uh, (laughs) aluminum frames and such. Uh, Why did we transition over to using fiberglass and carbon fiber? Because Um, we could. The material was okay. essentially superior, but it wasn't available to to smaller industries as 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 kites, or and 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 then fiberglass became available and became 
commonplace in in other industries like so we had access to it right mm -hmm. and then the same happened to carbon fiber it was way too expensive when only small quantities were made of that stuff when the, of the raw materials so so the kiting industry just had no access to it but when when that became more commonplace to use and and more material was being produced uh on the raw fiber and the raw fiber end, uh, mm -hmm. the more you produce, the less it's going to cost per ton or per pound, and that's what happened. Uh, then it became accessible to to kites as well. And then the the first and original uh, poltruded carbon tubes were essentially seconds from arrows. Um, so arrows need super straight tubes, so they they create a whole bunch of tubes, and uh, only like ten percent make the cut. And now you've got yourself. 90% of what's essentially for, for the aero industry, it was a waste. And, and they wouldn't say dumped it, but found found an outlet in the kiting industry. So that's how yeah. that first got to be. And that's how we ended up with the original. they originals. were more than suitable for That's for how kites. we ended up with the original uh, odd standard lengths of, of 29 and a half and 20, 30 and a half and 32 and a half. That's, that's all from the aero industry, the older aero industry. And yes, they're more than suitable for, for, for kites. We're bending all those tubes anyway. Right. They're constantly under tension. Awesome. Um, and of course, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, uh, especially with your history in kite flying and building kites and your history in composites, uh, you've seen how uh, these spars that are the foundation for kites are now going on to create other things. Yeah, I mean, uh, so we first had the protruded tube and then, then came the, the wrap tube, the tapered wrap tube, and mm -hmm. all that was uh, was used in kiting and, and the tapered wrapped carbon tube then, then sort of branched out to other uh, hobbies, outdoor hobbies like RC planes and helicopters and things like that. Um, so that you know, a larger version of a wrapped carbon tube became uh, very widely used in, in for tail booms for, for RC gliders and things like that, mm -hmm. or masts for RC sailboats. And interestingly enough, um, recently I had the opportunity to turn what was essentially a basic tail boom design uh, into uh, what became the uh, landing gear for the uh, Mars Ingenuity uh, helicopter that is now sitting and waiting for its first flight um, <laughs> up, up on Mars. So that's, that's essentially the, 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 sh the initial shape. It was, of course, um, it's, it's, it's evolved from there, but uh, the tooling that was, was originally used mm -hmm. for, for RC uh, uh, tail booms. Awesome. All right. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to talk about that. But well, there, but I there think everyone is. knows that that you did uh, the legs for Ingenuity. Well, it's, it's <laughs> more than like the history and where it comes from, right? Yes, yeah. And it's it's a nice kind of complete history with flight and kites and yourself and kind of how everything just kind of keeps coming back to kite flying. and Or at least some form of aviation, tethered right. or otherwise. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so... Awesome. Uh, so I have one last question, um, and that has to do with uh, combining the different characteristics between, uh, say, fiberglass and, and carbon fiber and poltruded and wrapped. So on specifically some sport kites, 
you might see that the upper leading edge is one material or one version of the material and the lower leading edge is either a slightly different size or a different material. Um, why would we do that? Or why would we have the upper spreader as fiberglass and the lower spreader is wrapped carbon fiber? Why would we mix and match kind of different materials in a kite? To get the best properties uh, out of the material in the location of the kite. So in in different places of the kite there's different loads there's different things you want from the material and and mm -hmm. say the upper leading edge there's not much that i need i just need to hold the sail taut right it so doesn't I can get away so i can get away with a uh i can get away with a lighter tube there now in the lower leading edge there's that that fulcrum that pivoting point where where the lower leading edge meets with the lower spreader mm -hmm. there is a ton of load there so I really want a beefier stick on that one. Uh, the keel, depending on the balance that you're looking for, you, you, you may want some more weight, but it doesn't need it to fly. There too, you can get away with a, with a, lighter, uh, a lighter material. So even you can experiment with a tapered tube in the keel and, and, and people have tapered up or tapered down for that matter. Um, hmm. A tapered tube will have a different stiffness along its length mm -hmm. and a different strength that comes with that and you can play with that. And then again the lower spreaders um, need to be a little bit tougher again. They get a lot of abuse. Standoffs, uh, you can use carbon for stiffness, you can use fiberglass for a little bit more of a, a bouncy sail and, and sport kites have used even combinations of them for the outer and the inner. So hmm. the inner would then be typically a carbon, the outer would be a fiberglass one and that basically means that the profile of the sill um, changes as there's more or less load in the in the cell from the wind so it, if it flies in normal 2d flight um, the sail will have a certain shape and if you have it in a trick when there's typically less wind no load in the cell uh, the sail will essentially change shape and that's what that fiberglass versus the carbon will do for you so uh, that was a long answer to that question. The short answer indeed is um, because different spots in the kite need, or in any structure for that matter, may have different demands. And okay. so you design the parts there differently. Okay. <laughs> and our, our cat agrees. Our, our in-house heckler, <laughs> yes. Our, our cat loves carbon fiber and fiberglass. Well, he prefers fiberglass for his cat toys think... with a springy little cat toy on there. I think our cat just likes to hackle. <laughs> Anyways, all right. Well, uh, thank you very much. Uh, is there anything else you would like to add regarding spars and sport kites? No, I think we covered it, but obviously I'm always happy to answer any questions. All right. Well, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Sport Kite Podcast. I really do hope that you had a chance to maybe learn something or maybe get kind of a better understanding about one of these parts of our sport kites. And yeah, I just wanted to give a huge shout out to all of you that have gone to buymeacoffee.com slash sportkite and offered up your support. Every little bit really, really does help. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And like we did in this conversation, we took a question from one of the listeners. Uh, they submitted it to info at sportkite.org. And uh, yeah, that's kind of what led this discussion. 
We're going to do a little bit more refined discussions regarding spars in the future and uh, how that plays into kite design and kite characteristics, both for dual line and quad line. So I hope you have subscribed and you follow and stay tuned to hear from that. If you would like to send us an email, let us know what you think, or if you have a question, reach out to us either on Facebook or at info at sportkite.org. And thank you for listening and uh, till next time.